Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are uh, with us now, and we bless your name uh, that you have revealed yourself to us uh, in Scripture and in your Son, Jesus. We, uh, on this Pentecost morning, we um, ask that you would send your Holy Spirit, that he would uh, enliven us to you and you to us, and uh, bless us this time, and that we might take exactly from this uh, time of learning uh, what you would have us to uh, have us to learn, to take uh, into our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so we've been going through John 5 and 6 uh, for no other reason than I think John 5 and 6 is fascinating. And Hey, good morning, come on in. There's a, uh, right there, make sure you get uh, a copy for all four of you. And um, um, So what we'll do is we'll read, um, okay, well, you're, test, you're going to test my peripheral vision. Um, uh, the, uh, yeah, you're, no, you're 100% fine. I just fine with me. That's fine. Don't worry. Charles can, Charles can edit this part out, so it's no problem. You want to sit up here? I do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, All right. And the music is stopping. <laughs> All right. Okay. So um, so you really don't need to have been to the others to, to get anything out of this one, uh, this class. And so, um, but I just, I found John 5 and 6 very uh, interesting and full when I was blogging uh, on it for our Bible in a Year blog um, a few, a couple months ago. So, um, so this is the last thing. This is kind of a long section. Um, we're gonna pick up, pick out four, uh, four particular points. Uh, so what I'll do is I will, um, I will read uh, through the passage and uh, just, and we'll just follow along, and we're gonna um, pick out the four points after that. Uh, when the crowds found Jesus on the other side of the sea, this is right after the, um, the feeding of the five thousand, and then Jesus walks on the water after that. And when they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, for the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, 
and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the Father sent me, I, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that the disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you, that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter, uh, I should say, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered him, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. All right, the Gospel of the Lord. Uh, so there's four um, key passages in here uh, that we want to lift out. Verse 29, where Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in whom he has sent. Uh, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. We want to um, also take a look at the idea that it is the Father who gives us um, to Jesus, uh, and Jesus will never cast us out. Verses 53 and 54, uh, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
And then um, Jesus says to the twelve, verse 67 and 68, uh, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. So I think the first one, uh, verse 29, is really the hinge. I mean, it's really the one, it's the, it's the foundation. And um, where Jesus says, uh, they, they, asked, they asked Jesus, uh, what must we do, be doing to be doing the works of God? What must we be working to work the works of God? And that Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. And now this comes on the heels uh, of, of Jesus just saying, don't labor for the food that, that perishes, that's just the food that he had given them just the day before uh, in the wilderness, the, the bread that you know the, the five loaves and two fish, and you know if they had if they had they did they collected a bunch. We're not ever told what they did with all the leftovers, right? But but it spoiled at some point. Either they ate it or it spoiled. I mean, it was just bread. It it got moldy, and um, and um, and so Jesus is saying, don't labor for that kind of food, but labor for the food that endures. So there is some work involved. And then they say, well, what must we be doing to to work the works of God? And 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 that's, they're not saying what, what must we do in order to work like God or to act like God, but what must, what must we do to do the works that, are, uh, that God requires, that will make us acceptable uh, to God, that will get us in with Him. And the answer that Jesus gives, uh, that you believe in the one whom He sent, that is controversial and unexpected. The expected answer is, uh, well, you need to be doing the Ten Commandments. You know, you don't don't covet, don't steal, or or maybe the summary of the law: love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, quoted that several times, and it would have been this would have been a perfect time uh, for him to uh, to bring that up again. What must me What must we be doing to be doing the works of God? And yet, what he says um, is completely unexpected. Uh, believe. Believe in the one whom the Father has sent. That is, believe in me, Jesus Christ. That's it. Believe. That's the work of God. And and you and the and you just think like that. If you think about the way that we would react, I mean, we we might, we might be conditioned. If you've heard a lot of teaching at the Advent, you might be conditioned to say, well, that's that's right. But but even think about if you can put that in the context of your daily life, in your place of business, in your family. And how we gain acceptance, and how we earn uh, a voice with those who are uh, above us in the in the whatever order uh, that we might find ourselves, uh, we don't uh, we gain a voice. We earn acceptance by works, by competence, by doing the things that we are given to do, and G- and, and so it, it it stands to reason. Then and in fact, it was exactly what they had always been taught for generations. Uh, according to the work, the true word of God, what must we be do to be doing the works of God? Well, you need to follow the Ten Commandments. You need external righteousness. And Jesus, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount, talked about internal righteousness. Our motivation is what counts. But still, behaviorally, we must be doing the works of God, the things that He lays out for us. And Jesus strips that away and says, "Just believe." And the one whom he has sent. It is um, so controversial then to, to Jews who are completely built on, on what they are to do, but it's controversial now. And, and it's controversial within the church. Um, it's, 
there is still a rampant fear of what we might, what we might call antinomianism. Do you know? Do you know? Can you pick out the terms there? Anti against nomos is the law, the Greek word for law, uh, against the law. Um, and th- what that means is is antinomianism is to say it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter uh, what, what you can do whatever you want, and God will still accept you. And um, and that's a, that's a pretty cursory overview of antinomianism. But it is uh, it is of every preacher of grace knows that they're they're on the right track if they get accused of of antinomianism. Um, the um, and, and and of course I hope you never hear us say that the law is not important. And that's the fear. If you tell if you tell if you tell them that, it, that God will love you no matter what, and it doesn't matter what they do, then they're going to go off and do whatever they want. And they're going to besmirch the name of God, and it's going to be awful for the church. And you're just going—they're going, going to—it's it's going to be terrible. And you can't tell people that they are going to go off and, and they can just do whatever they want. And of course, I understand—I I, completely—I mean, as a pastor, that I love my people, and I—I I mean, life works best when we obey God's commands. I want my—I want my people. I want you to—to to obey God. I want me to obey God. And yet, if God's acceptance of us is dependent upon our action, then we are all in big trouble. Because at what point is it good enough? Uh, at what point uh, can we say that we are satisfied? Please don't put it in the eyes of the pastor, or the hands of the pastor, to determine if, if that is. And please don't put it in your own eyes, or you know, in our own eyes. Well, I'm good enough because of this. I can find five people uh, in church this morning that are worse than I am. Well, I can find a hundred people that are better than I am. So at what point will we gain acceptance by our our good works? And I completely understand the fear uh, of, uh, and the the, the fear of not wanting people to do, uh, to sort of go off into this crazy life, but I also can can understand the the desire for people to live a holy life. I want that for, for all of us. And yet, it is a fruit of understanding that we are accepted uh, completely. Believe. Believe in the one whom he has sent. That's it. That's the work of God. But not just to believe in his existence or to, to believe that his, um, that his sacrifice does have, somehow have something to do with uh, taking, uh, paying the penalty for our sin on a theoretical basis, but actually on a practical level, lean into the one. Believe in, I always say this, believe in uh, Jesus the way a rock climber believes in the rope they're hanging from. Okay, they're, You're putting their whole life in his hands. Um, Martin Luther uh, wrote uh, lots of things, he wrote, but he, one of the things, just really a seminal work, is called his Treatise on Good Works. Treatise on Good Works. And, he, and one of the, his fundamental insights is that you cannot break commandments two through nine without first breaking commandment number one, which is you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, any time that you covet, or any time that you commit adultery in your heart uh, or outside of your heart, um, any time that you um, bear false witness, any time you work on the Sabbath, that you are uh, not believing in God but are serving some other God, sin is fundamentally an issue of what our hearts love. And if we can't love and believe in God, which is commandment number one, then it stands to reason that then neither can we Love the one whom he has sent and believe in the one whom he has sent. So I'm going to hold that for a minute. Uh, but consider, consider just the implications of believing in, the, in order to, that belief as the, 
the work that God requires. So we want to. This is commandment number one: believe in God, have no gods before, trust in His work, and not our own. Trust in His righteousness, uh, not our own. Uh, trust in His ability to solve our sin problems, uh, and not our own. And this is utterly and completely against the default of the human heart. It's completely against uh, our nature, uh, which. Um, our nature is absolutely and in every way that we are seeking to be independent. Uh, which is not to say that we want to be disconnected from people, uh, but that we, at, on some fundamental level, want to be God unto ourselves. And it is right, we're right back in the garden where Eve, with, with Eve saying, uh, and the snake saying to Eve that you can be like God. Um, and that's, that's that lie. But, but, but let's hold on to that. And I think this is the hinge that, that informs the whole rest of the passage. Uh, believe in the one whom he has sent. That is uh, working, doing the work of God. Okay, Clay, weren't you my timekeeper last week? Is that right? Yeah, so yeah. I still need for you to be my timekeeper. So I got, uh, is it 30 or 30? Yeah. All right. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now remember, he's just fed everybody in the wilderness. And... And he says, I am the bread of life. Uh, there is no culture in history where bread is not in some form a fundamental staple to the diet. Everybody, everywhere, understands bread. It's, 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 it satisfies. It, um, e- even the poorest of the poor um, are going to have uh, bread, but the richest of the rich are also going to have bread on their table. Um, in response to Jesus saying, believe in the one that the Father sent, they say, well, what sign can you give us? So the feeding of the 5,000, you think that that's, that's, got, that's sign enough, right? Um, and, and yet, uh, and it, it recalled Moses. And it was such a significant sign, a significant miracle, that it, it made them ask the question, is this the prophet that Moses was talking about? And if it is... If the prophet who is greater than Moses has come, then it stands to reason that we uh, must see a a sign greater than what Moses did. Well, Moses gave bread in the wilderness. And so we want to see something else. We want to see something else. But Jesus reminds him that Moses didn't give bread in the wilderness. It was God that gave bread in the wilderness. God's the one who gives the bread. And so in that case, Jesus has already surpassed Moses. But here's the greater sign. Like I said, the manna spoiled, but Jesus himself is the bread uh, that never spoils. Now what he says, he says that um, he says that I am the bread of life. Whoever uh, comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Uh, we would expect that he says, whoever eats of me. He does talk about this language um, and, and, and later on down in the passage we'll get to. Uh, but he establishes it here. Uh, we expect him, if you're satisfying hunger, that, that whoever eats of me will never hunger. Whoever drinks of me will never thirst. But he says, but coming is paramount to eating. Or, um, and, and believing is paramount to taking in. Um, and we get the idea that anyone who comes, comes at the initiative of the Father. All that the Father has given to me, I will never uh, cast out. Um, all the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never uh, cast out. It is the Father who gives us to the Son, and the Son submits to that choice of the Father. Um, He retains 
all that the Father gives to him. Um, so it solves the problem of earlier, can we believe in the one whom he sent? Well, that's completely by the choice of the Father. If you believe, it's because the Father's chosen you to believe. Where our minds immediately go there it is, well, what about those who haven't believed, who don't believe? And I don't know. I mean, I know that, that we believe because the Father believes. And I know that if we know somebody who doesn't believe, then I don't know what's going to happen to them in their life. And, that, that, and, and so we hold them up and we pray for them and we trust the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of predestination is a doctrine of assurance. So you can say, you don't need to worry about other people. What you can say about yourself is to say, thanks be to God that he chose me. I know that I'm a sinner such that I would never have chosen God, but aside from the fact that he chose me. Now, I know that when I was 15 years old, I chose God. Absolutely. I made a choice to follow God, to put him at the center of my life, to go down. It was a, um, well, there were a few different episodes in, in that 10th grade year that, um, that were central to my coming to faith, but, but I made a choice. The question is, did my choice of God affect his choosing of me, or did his choosing of me affect my choice of him? And at the time, I would have said, I made the choice, so he accepts me. Because that's certainly what it felt like to me. But what, did I, what I didn't know, what I couldn't see then, is what was, God was already doing behind the scenes in my life. I could never have chosen him if he didn't choose me first. All the, he doesn't say that the Father will give to me all that come to me. He says, all, all the Father gives to me will come to me. Um, so, and he says, uh, so he says he is the he is the bread of life, um, and so we see that the feeding of the five thousand was in fact a parable a parable of sorts. Uh, Chris Taylor actually brought that up uh, in the class last week. It was a sign. Uh, what a sign does is it points to something greater than itself. If somebody went out, you know, to the to the sign for the Cathedral Church of the Advent and and sat at the sign on Sunday morning and just waited for something to happen, we would think that they were nuts because the sign isn't the important thing. It's a pretty sign, but it points to something greater than itself. You need to come inside. And so the, um, the sign and the miracles, they, they aren't the point themselves. They point to something greater. They point to the, the miracle worker, uh, Jesus. And the, Jesus giving the bread in the wilderness is to say that those of us who in, are in a wilderness of our own, that he is the bread of life. Whoever feeds on him... Uh, will never go hungry. Whoever believes in him uh, will never thirst. So let me stop there. This idea of believing on him and him being the bread of life. And if we don't get all the way to the end, then, then we don't. But I want, want to stop and see if there are some questions or thoughts or insights, anything that needs clarity. Yes? I have a question. Well, just clarification. You in the blue? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pretty lady in the blue. Mm-hmm. No. Um, when you are talking about the predestination, you said you know it's a doctrine of assurance, and so we need to for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But like as you're saying, we don't need to worry about it for other people. Just talk. About, you're not saying like we don't need to worry about evangelism. Like no, that's the means that God has ordained by which we um, th- should spread the gospel. That's all an act of the Holy Spirit, and so. Um, what I'm saying is that anyone who will come to faith by acts of evangelism or witness or relationship or casseroles or however we, however we do it, that, um, that it's the Holy Spirit's work in them that draws them to Christ. 
it is not a doctrine, predestination is not a doctrine of condemnation for those who don't yet believe, because we don't know when they'll believe. I love always telling the story of Frank Limehouse's father who gave his life to Christ at 90 years old. You know, his parents died never seeing him come to Christ. But his children didn't. And, you know, so and at, at 90. And he didn't have a whole lifetime of joy walking with the Lord. And, you know, isn't it better to have that? But yet he, we know where he is now. So, so it's a doctrine of assurance for those who do believe to say, wow, God is so great, even when I know I'm so small. The more I know about God, the more I know that I don't know. You know, when I, I thought, man, I sure am smart to make this decision for Christ when, when I made it. But now, I, you know, gosh, I've gained so much wisdom <laughs> and so much life experience. And yet I can see, man, I know way less than I ever... I mean, I have the wisdom to know I, I know way less than I thought I knew. I hope that makes sense. But um, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. And the more dependent we are uh, upon Christ. And the more we realize we never could have made that choice. I was 15, for crying out loud. <laughs> Nothing I could have done. Nothing I could have done to choose him um, without him choosing me first. I did choose him, but he chose me first. So it's a doctrine of assurance. I don't have to worry, did I choose him enough? Have I fallen out of it? If it's, if it's completely his work to save me, then it's completely his work to let me go. And he's not going to. I won't know why I was cast out. So I don't have to worry, like, am I good enough to stay in? I don't have to worry if I'm good enough to get in. I don't have to worry if I'm good enough to stay in. It's all his work. But I'll tell you what that makes me want to do is honor him with my life. So love creates what the law wants. Law wants us to love, but it can't affect it. Love creates love. So, um, and in fact, um, we'll see that in what I think is one of the most controversial portions of Scripture. Um, Any other questions or comments or thoughts? Filling in? On that. Okay. So in uh, in verse begins with verse fifty-two. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? How, Jesus said to them, "Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you." I think you can read this as incredibly provocative. This is not Jesus sitting up on the mount. You know, as a guru offering some sort of words of wisdom, this is this is provocative. Uh, I feel like, like I've always, lots of people say, you know, if you're just starting out reading the Bible, read the Gospel of John. But I believe the Holy Spirit can work in that. But I, this paragraph makes me. I mean, I just think, why is Jesus like? He's just picking a fight, and it seems to, me, you know, it was so controversial because anything that they touched that was dead made them unclean. Like, they had to go through a whole, you know, sometimes you had to touch dead things, but you had to go through this whole rite of ceremonial uncleanness. Their drinking blood was strictly forbidden uh, in their law, um, uh, explicitly uh, forbidden. And so, and it, what, wasn't there another way to say it, Jesus, that, that would have helped them get it? Well, the only way they get it is the Father draws them. And, and so, so some, somebody got it because the Father drew them in, in Christ. Uh, but at least here, uh, they all went away. But let me, there's, the reason that I, so I've discouraged new Christians uh, from time to time um, from reading John, because, at least initially, because of uh, this. It, it, um, it seems like Jesus is intentionally making them angry. And, it, um, 
And yet, in fact, there is no other way. Uh, Jesus said it the right way. Uh, he is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Um, and he's already established in this narrative what we just saw, that eating is paramount uh, to coming in faith. Remember he says, that it, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. So coming to him is, uh, is what he means by eating. Whoever comes to him in faith. Um, drinking is paramount to belief. Uh, and, and, you know, think about, too, the eating metaphor is not unusual. We use eating metaphors all the time. We, um, we devour books. We chew on a decision. We, um, we drink deeply of life. We digest news. Uh, those are all eating metaphors. Um, I just learned uh, that to ruminate, you know, is to think deeply. But it means something else, too. Do you know what the other word is? The other definition is to chew cud. I, I didn't know. I've never. I've never heard chewing cud. But you think about it, like it's down there. It comes back up and reprocess and cut, like that's what thinking deeply is, you know. So, it, it um. So that is this eating metaphor is not unusual. And but Jesus, what Jesus is saying, is that what happens to his body, physically, his flesh and blood, must be fed upon spiritually. That that what f- happened to him physically matters to us and is an ongoing source of nourishment and life for us. For them then and for us, all Christians throughout uh, the ages. Um, you must feed on my flesh and drink uh, my blood. Now, many, many folks have read this sacramentally. Now this, he's talking about the Eucharist. Um, and many also have interestingly read this anti-sacramentally. He can't be talking about the Eucharist. Therefore, uh, what he's talking about is faith. And therefore, the Eucharist should not be over, um, overblown in our own services because um, it, it should not be held up high, too high because Jesus didn't hold up high. He's talking about faith. He couldn't have been talking about the Eucharist because the Eucharist hadn't been established yet. The that didn't come until later. Um, it does, I will say, it does seem strange. I mean, I don't know if, if you think of the Eucharist when he says, you must feed on my flesh and drink my blood. If, you not, if, if that is where your mind naturally goes to the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. It does seem strange that John would have him speak of the Eucharist here and then skip it completely in John 13 when he could have talked about it, should have talked about it. That's where he would have talked about the Eucharist, the establishing of the Lord's Supper. We don't get that in John. Remember what we get in John? John 13? What do we get on the, the night before Jesus died? What does John talk about, remember? Don't be shy. Foot washing. Remember that? Where, where Jesus... Um, says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He gets down and he takes the, 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 um, the job of the lowest servant uh, there in John 13. It seems strange that John would speak of the Eucharist here but not uh, there. But it's also almost impossible to imagine that John, now writing this 40 or 50 years later, would not have had the Eucharist in mind as he was writing it. And so, I think what is going on is that um, is that he is speaking of uh, love and our relationship with 
Jesus speaking about love and our relationship with Him, that we must feed spiritually upon His sacrifice, and um, that that's what gives us life. And yet, we do so with an echo of understanding every time we come to communion, that's our altar call, that we're coming in faith to feed on Him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Um, and so, um, I mean, what what is more important... Um, I mean, John, remember, John himself had participated in the Last Supper. So John got it. I mean, he, he was there. But what is more important in, through the writings of John, including his letters, uh, is love. The love of God first to us, the love, our love for God second, and thirdly, and still very, very importantly, um, our love for one another. Um, I mean, the Last Supper is skipped in favor of the foot washing. Love one another as I have loved you. And first John, he writes, God is love. Um, and, and you can just go on and on. Uh, to love is to have a lasting and returning relationship. You think about your spouse, your child. Uh, to love someone is to have a relationship that lasts, that you return to over and over again. Three minutes. So to feed on Christ, to believe in Him, is to love, to have that loving uh, relationship. And we, So we come to Him in the Eucharist in love and faith, and that is important, but it's sec- secondary to the fact that He has come to us in love, um, and I think that John is speaking of faith uh, in relationship, but he's intentionally echoing uh, the su- the Last Supper, uh, the Eucharist. Uh, any thoughts on that? Any questions about? I mean, so that's what Jesus is doing there, and and he doesn't have to worry about upsetting them because when the Father gives them to him, they're going to come, and he, they're not going to be cast out. So, the last thing to say is that you have the words of life. Uh, so it was a hard saying. Even his followers, you know, he had lots of followers. But he had the twelve disciples. All many of the, the disciples uh, left. He turns to twelve and says, "Are you going to leave too?" And, and Peter says, "Listen, you, where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? You've got the words of life. It doesn't mean the flesh." Um, uh, Jesus says that, you, that. Sorry, Jesus says the spirit gives life, and the flesh is of no avail. He just said. The life, the bread that I give to the world is my flesh. Um, it doesn't mean the flesh isn't important. Um, it means that the flesh itself doesn't produce the f- the fruit of faith. That's the spirit's job. The spirit's job is to produce faith in us. Uh, that's why so many people, I mean, who, who can look and, and hear the story of, of Jesus and can see his sacrifice and understand the exact same thing that you and I can fall on our ears and their ears and they can look on it with... Uh, hate or indifference or disgust or they think it's foolishness. Uh, the flesh saved us, but it doesn't bear life. Uh, the Spirit uh, bears life for us. Uh, and Jesus has given us the Spirit uh, after He was glorified. Uh, he says, the words that I have spoken are spirit and life. Jesus has borne witness to the truth and He, he can do, and now we can do, uh, nothing apart from the Father. Um, in other, Peter says, where else are we going to go? You have the words in life. In other words, Jesus, we believe in the one the Father has sent. That's it. The Spirit gives life. His words are life and truth. Where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. Jesus said, they said, what must we be doing to be doing the works of God? Jesus said, believe on the one you, whom you have sent. And Peter says he gets it. He doesn't always get it. He doesn't usually get it. But he gets it right here. Um, you have the words of life. Um, so, so what are the words of life? Again, it's believe. 
That's, that, believe in the one that he has sent. God doesn't expect uh, that you should earn your way to heaven, so stop, stop trying. Um, so what would your life, just kind of ruminate on your life, and think about what it would uh, look like. Longer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, let it come back up and, and process it. Um, uh, if, if all the pressure of your life was on Jesus all the time, the pressure that you felt was actually transferred to Jesus all the time. To believe in the one that the Father has sent. It's not to say that we don't act in faith, but to say that we believe that He will take care of my kids. He will take care of my job. Um, I have to be faithful. I've got to walk in faith. But life works, and life works best when I'm obedient uh, to His Word, but the pressure is off. Because He's going to take care of the outcomes. Believe in the one. What, what are we... Going to be, what must we be doing to be doing the work? Believe. And in fact, your ability to believe is a gift uh, as well. Um, had a great story to wrap that up. I'll have to save that for another time. I think I've told it before anyway. Um, any, any parting shots, comments, thoughts? So that's the thing to think about as you leave here. It's just to think, where am I not believing? I mean, all sin, all struggles, all idols... Underneath every one of them is a place where we don't believe the gospel. So, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Anything else? Anything? Quick questions? All right, let's pray. Uh, thank you, Lord. Help us to believe. Uh, I just think of the those words of that man um, in in your gospel. Uh, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Uh, help us to believe in the one whom the Father has sent. Uh, you, Lord Jesus. Uh, Thank you that you have given your flesh and your blood for us. Uh, Let us feed on that uh, spiritually. Uh, Let us come in faith with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.